0: Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. Nathan Vasquez joins me in the studio. He is running for District Attorney of Multnomah County, where Portland is situated. His opponent is the incumbent, Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt took office in 2020. He's made national and international news. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this evening.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here this evening.
0: I am so thrilled that you came on. And you are so brave because you are still working at the DA's office uh, under your opponent, while you're running a campaign, which is admirable on a lot of levels.
1: Well, I do appreciate that. And uh, to, just to address a couple of things, you know, I work there on a day in, day out basis, even while running against my boss, because, you know, I've always been just a real practical prosecutor. I'm not a politician. And, um, you know, I, I really love and enjoy that work. And it's really for me about serving victims in the community. You know, the campaign part of it all is very odd uh, and new to me because I'm not a politician. Uh, you know, the sad reality is to run a campaign, you do need money, and um, particularly against an incumbent who is, you know, quite literally a politician that is well entrenched with kind of the status quo. So uh, it will take some money. Uh, and so, I'm trying to get up to speed on all of that and certainly uh, get out and talk to a lot of folks about kind of what I see needs to be changed.
0: Do you have a website, and how do we donate?
1: Oh, thanks. Uh, Yes, I do. It is uh, www.voteforvascus.com, and the four is F-O-R.
0: And do you have a button on there where we can
1: donate? Yeah, it's uh, just right on the front home page. You click on that, and what you'll see is uh, an opportunity to uh, put in an amount. You can use credit card or, you know, bank card or however you want to pay. Also, checks can be sent in as well. That's another option. Um, And so those are the kind of two primary methods.
0: And then what if somebody wants to host, like, an office party or a house party? Can they reach out to somebody on your campaign about doing that from the website?
1: Absolutely. Um, I believe there are options on the website, but uh, the email to just uh, go to is michael at voteforvascus.com. And... uh, Michael's my campaign manager, and he is currently organizing. We've had a just fantastic interest in that, and so I'm, I'm really excited for those because for me it's a great opportunity to just meet people and talk to people and, and sometimes reconnect with some of the folks I know uh, but and then really talk about the issues that, that we're facing in our community.
0: And thank you for doing that because our community – is suffering. I don't know if you've seen the polling that's come out recently. I mean, obviously you have eyes and ears, so you know we're suffering. But the majority of Oregonians agree that we are suffering. This is from KATU News. That is an ABC affiliate. And this polling that was recently done says that a majority of Oregon voters think that Measure 110 That is the measure that decriminalized all drugs, including hard drugs that the majority of Oregonians voted for, including myself, because I thought it was going to bring people into recovery as opposed to fly-by-night nonprofits handing out needles and foil, which is what it actually does because it focuses on harm reduction. I idiotically did not read the actual measure, but apparently most of us didn't because we want it repealed. And 63% of voters support bringing back criminal penalties for drug possession. So, how did we get here? How did we end up on this precipitous decline?
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I want to start off, if it's okay, and just kind of because some of the listeners, you know, would would maybe ask like well even just what does a DA or a a prosecutor district attorney do and you know and and so just start from that perspective and then kind of build out to how then we come into play with measure 110 please yeah I mean from a basic standpoint because again you know I'm not a politician I'm an actual prosecutor and I've done this job for 20 years Uh, and and what my job entails is that um, we look at when a crime happens, generally the police will make an arrest, they'll bring uh, forward police reports, and so from there, that's when we get involved. We contact victims, we start to prepare the kind of legal process, the documents, we review the cases and determine if there's enough evidence, and then really from there, I take it on as my duty and responsibility so that that is my case and it is my responsibility to make sure that it is appropriately handled and that um, and that to see justice through all the way to the end for the victims. And that means taking it to court. It means getting up, standing up for the victims and the community and, uh, and making sure that that individual who committed a crime is held accountable. And so <clears throat> as, as we kind of go from there, what happens is that uh, as a prosecutor, that's the day-in, day-out work. Now, as the elected DA, uh, when we get into the kind of the, the politics of it all, the elected DA does have an opportunity to really um, advocate for policies to talk about some of the major issues facing our community. And this is one where uh, certainly we've seen that uh, that our current elected DA pushed heavily for Measure 110, and he was on the forefront of selling this uh, this idea that we should fully decriminalize drugs and we should um, basically move away from what kind of we all had, had hoped for when it was presented that this would be an end to the war on drugs um, and that things would just be uh, full of just treatment centers and recovery.
0: Yeah, and by treatment centers, I don't mean what the Drug Policy Alliance has set up, I this harm reduction nonsense and yeah. handing out foil. I really mean what I thought I was reading because they also use the word recovery and the, I pulled out the voter's guide to try to remember what the heck I was thinking. And in the summary of the measure, they talk about recovery, Mm -hmm. which is usually a buzzword for detox and rehab. And of course, none of that is coming to fruition.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the issue and the problem is that this is one where, you know, Mike Schmidt has really made our community unrecognizable and unsafe. And when we talk about measure One Ten, what we see is that it, it simply just erased any accountability. And when, when we do that, it, it's not that we should return to the war on drugs. That's not it. What we should be doing, though, is we should be looking for opportunities to intervene when, when people are in crisis and when they are out on the streets and they are so intoxicated they can't really take care of themselves. And, you know, this is, we should be having opportunities to, to change that and to look at how do we influence that individual to get into treatment, to stay in treatment, and to follow through. You know, the the old system we had, um, it wasn't perfect by any means, um, but there was actually a lot of positive that was really just thrown out. Uh, we had a stop court, is what we called our drug treatment court. And in that court, um, you know, I think one of the misconceptions was that, oh, you know, people that were possessing drugs were were going to prison. And, and that simply just, it wasn't happening certainly people who were dealing drugs, you know, those individuals could end up in prison. But when you talk about your everyday user, what we were doing through the stop court was we were pushing them into treatment and we were trying to do everything we could to keep them in treatment. A lot of that was actually out in the community. Some of it was impatient, but through it all, um, that stop court really focused on accountability. And there are a lot of former addicts out there that They're in our community now, being very productive members of our community, and they're there. And they would tell you it's because they had stop court there to help keep them on track, to help keep them accountable. You know, and so what happened is though with Measure One Ten, Mike Schmidt and others sold that uh, to to the public in a way that I think it packaged it as this kind of magical was going to bring in these treatment resources and you know recovery. But in reality, it just erased all accountability. And now it's we've really what we have is we've become this kind of no rules Portland and it's a free for all. And it is really it's out of control and it's wrecked our very vibrant community.
0: Talk to us about stop court, because I was talking to a Multnomah County judge who said we still have stop court, i.e. drug court for Measure 11 crimes. Before we went on air, you said that's actually not true.
1: It's. I think it's it's a misinformation to put out that because what we have now is we still have some treatment courts, but, and there's a big poignant but on that is that you have to commit either a series of you know very destructive property crimes or if you're committing a measure eleven, we're talking about. You know, a, a violent crime that has a victim and it is a crime of violence. So, right, those
0: are the worst of the worst for yeah. people who don't know what Measure 11 is. And I'm, sh- I'm frankly shocked it's still around. Yeah. I'm surprised the legislature hasn't gotten rid of it, but it's the one kind of thing we have left in regard to victims' rights centered mm-hmm. legislation.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, so now the diversion or treatment courts we have are really, um, the bar has been raised very high. Before the stop cart, the stop court bar was a lot lower. In other words, we could intervene with individuals on you know a level where they weren't necessarily out there harming other individuals or businesses or you know stealing and doing those things. The stop court, you know, we were dealing with individuals that were in in crisis through their addiction, and we were trying to intervene that way. And so, what what. What I'm advocating for, you know, very plain and simply is we need to reform Measure 110. It needs to be changed. We need to get to a place where um, where we can actually start having some accountability.
0: Okay, I just want to put a fine point on this. You said you've been a prosecutor for 20 years. You have been with the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office, correct me if I'm wrong, since 2000, so 23 years, right?
1: Yeah, I I actually started as an intern. That's
0: incredible, Nathan.
1: And uh, well, it was you know I came up to Portland in uh, in 1998 and I w- went to law school here at Lewis and Clark, and uh, you know I really kind of found my community. It was uh, it's at that time particularly was a beautiful city, It was a great place to live, and I wanted to raise my family here. And so um, I got a job at the DA's office as an intern, and it was it was. Wildly exciting because I had an opportunity to directly work with victims and I felt like um, you know I, I, my background is I Had a degree in political science and public service and I felt like this was the most direct public service I could do and I, I loved it and so it was one of those things that it, You kind of find your home and you, you know, this is what you want to do and and so after um, Graduating from law school and passing the bar. I I got hired on at the at the DA's office and have never left.
0: So do you have any sense of how many, particularly in the last few years, how many crimes committed in Multnomah County are connected in some way to, to addiction?
1: Well, could I put an exact number? No. But could I say that it's the vast majority have some drug connection? Absolutely. I mean, really? It, oh, I mean, when you look at our property crimes, those are driven Driven by by actually absolutely driven by drug addiction, we see a lot of uh, the violent crimes that we're we're seeing and experiencing uh, now. Th- there are a significant number that are related back to drugs because you know these these are individuals that when when you're in downtown Portland when you're out on 82nd when you're when you're walking in various neighborhoods in, in our city you're seeing these individuals that are in some sort of addiction potentially mental health you know crisis and and those things can be mixed and then what you see is and we've been seeing is those individuals then attack others and it's it, it it's there's some very tragic results and I you know I'm not going to talk about any open and pending cases but certainly the media has been reporting on on lots of very violent uh encounters that that are uh, the citizens in our community have greatly suffered as a result of and what I see time and time again it comes back to individuals that are in some form of addiction crisis.
0: Are these crimes, such as property crime, are they have they gone up since Measure One Hundred and Ten?
1: It's again, that's a, a tough one because what we've really seen in this community is a, a, what I call in term a crisis of confidence. And that stems from the everyday citizen to your everyday police officer. There has been an absolute loss of faith in our system. And, and that is one of the things that, that really has driven me and pushed me to, to run. Because what I saw before was uh, a really it, opportunities where if there was a crime committed, people came forward, they reported it police officers investigated it because there was full faith and belief that that was going to be carried through to the prosecutor's office and they were going to prosecute that crime and now what i hear from citizens on a regular basis from police officers on a regular basis is well you know the the, the citizen will say uh yeah the, uh, the officer showed up they were able to either identify the person or maybe even put hands on them and then they asked us, and they said, well, I mean, do you really want us to arrest them? Do you really want us to do this? Because the DA is not going to charge it. And it breaks my heart because whether or not that's true, that it, it just highlights what the issue is, is that when, when people don't have any faith in the system, when the police officers don't have faith in, in the system, it, is, um, it, it's, it leads us to where we are, which is, I, do I believe that we would see a wild spike in property crimes and things? Well, yes, if those were actually being accurately reported, if right. those were being, um, you know, accurately uh, arrested and investigated.
0: Well, and if we could get through, I mean, even the non-emergency line, I know Rene Gonzalez is trying to remedy this mm-hmm. because he's the commissioner in charge of the Bureau of Emergency Communications or BOAC. But, you know, I mean, he'll freely acknowledge you try to call a non-emergency line if you've got like a burglary or car theft or something that's as the police would say, I guess, cold, the, the Alleged perpetrator is gone. Good luck. I mean, you could end up on hold for thirty minutes or more. In general, I think people just figure nobody's going to do anything about it. Moving on.
1: Yeah, and it's it is a situation where um, this crisis of confidence has has really impacted us. And my goal is really kind of how can we come together and build a safer community, and that that's that's what's driving me to kind of to take that big risk, to jump out there and to, to put my name out there.
0: What are your views on misdemeanor prosecutions? Because, you know, if we're going to bring confidence back, does that mean we bring confidence back at lower levels as well?
1: Absolutely. I mean, misdemeanor prosecutions, are, you know, they're really, they're a critical tool to ensure accountability. And we really, it's a way that we can both disrupt crime on that kind of the daily basis that when we see things happening, you know, it it doesn't have to all be like, hey, we're going to, you know, bring the hammer down on people. This isn't actually an opportunity um, to intervene with individuals before they get wildly out of control. Um, And so it it, it is one that this, this is an area where we have seen kind of a rapid and massive decline under Mike Schmidt. And it's really left our community where we feel like it is just a you know free for all, and there's no rules, and uh, it's one that you know it makes us feel unsafe, and it and we don't we no longer recognize this beautiful community that we've we've had for so many years and generations, really.
0: Yes, and we should also talk about our homicide crisis. This is from the Oregonian, February 22nd of this year. Portland's 101 homicides in 2022 set new record. At some point, we have to be tired of burying our children. This article says, of course, 101 people killed in Portland in 2022, deadliest year in the city's history, surpassed the record of 92 homicides set only the year before, both 2022 and 2021, far exceeded the previous peak of 70 people who died in homicide sites in Portland in 1987. So we have this homicide crisis. And then we also have this rapid increase in crime that I think a lot of people, including certainly Mike Schmidt in like 2020, in my opinion, would say are low level, like property crimes, like theft. I mean, he really made a distinction in 2020 between the kinds of crimes he was willing to prosecute and the kinds of crimes that he was not going to. And in this Willamette Week article from July 15th, he says that he's not going to categorically say he won't prosecute one type of case or another, but he says, is this potentially a suppressing speech? We should err on the side of not doing that. And letting people express themselves. And then once it gets over the line to really putting people in harm's way, I'm quoting his quote in the article here, and danger, we're going to take those cases more seriously like we would any other type of situation. And moving on in the article and in regard to his quotes, he says, I don't like the idea of good protesters versus bad protesters. My focus is on conduct. I think that when you look historically at this nation, it is during these protests when we've gotten some of the changes that we are proudest of in our nation's history. And sometimes it took some property damage. It took more than just peaceful protests to get the government's attention. I'm very mindful of that.
1: And and you brought up that point about homicides, and that that's an interesting one. When you start to talk about okay, the health of a community, and, and where are we in that balance? And you know, I certainly cite the crisis of confidence, and we don't see crimes being reported, you know, as much as they should be. But uh, homicides are is the kind of one of those key areas that you actually see where you're gonna have the you know it reported. You know, absolutely. When someone uh, loses their life tragically, uh, you're going to see that reported. And what we've seen in the past three years under Mike Schmidt has been just, uh, it, it has been an unmitigated disaster in our community. We went for 20 years prior, we, we had experienced about 30 homicides a year, which you know, we, uh, during that time period, I remember working through those cases, thinking that was way too many. But yet, in the last three years, um, you know, we're seeing numbers. You know, last year we had uh, over a hundred. I think the year before that, like ninety-two. So, I mean, really tripled that rate. And um, gun violence has just been wildly out of control. And it, it, I think it, it's one of those things that stems, kind of, from top to bottom of the system. When you live in in No Rules Portland and and, you know, the criminals feel like they're going to get either a get-out-of-jail-free card from Mike Schmidt or, you know, that, they're, that basically the officers aren't coming for them. This is what you're going to get. And it's, it's a terrible place for us to be.
0: What do we do with all these crimes that are tied to drug addiction? If we can't get them into drug court, into what you call stop court, I mean, there are laws against public intoxication. I suppose we could round these people up. And that particular statute I'm thinking of says, if we wanted to, we could throw them in jail to dry them out. Um, But you were saying the sheriff would say it's not a bookable offense, so the sheriff has to agree. And also, is that what we want to do? I mean, do we want to put people suffering from drug addiction in jail? Uh, Voters support mandating treatment. That was another part of this poll that recently came out what would you do if you win district attorney? What would your policy be or how would you lead on that issue? Yeah and
1: you know what happens here is that for a long time we had the Hooper Detox Center and that was um, a tool that was used kind of by local law enforcement to deal with folks that were intoxicated and out of control.
0: My understanding is it still exists right but we're not using it for that reason.
1: Well part of the reason it it doesn't exist at all in the, in, in the, in the use that it, it was before. Right, because, in a criminal justice sense. Yeah, because what happened is um, through the years, and particularly once we got into the Measure 110 years, is that uh, the crisis level that individuals were experiencing under addiction, Hooper couldn't deal with. Like, it, was just, it was far too much to deal with someone that was in, in the midst of a meth psychosis to put them into Hooper Detox. And so we had we had this massive gap in the system, and then once uh, Measure One Ten fully hit, it just you know it overran it, and so there were a lot of um, community leaders that stepped forward and tried to build uh, build some some you know basically uh, a system in place Um, well you were one of them that was
0: beacon is what it was called yeah
1: the the effort around the the acronym was beacon and um you know there were a lot of really um just sharp individuals highly organized and put this effort together um and ultimately it didn't come to fruition but it, it was it was really to try to account for this and then when we roll back to you know the jail beds the issue is that the jail is not equipped to kind of deal with that you know with that crisis level the, you know the jail's not there to house uh people who are suffering from either you know severe mental illness or and it shouldn't or, or addiction. yeah and that's that's not where we want our folks that are suffering from those things to go and you know the sheriff has been uh she's been actively trying to increase kind of booking criteria in other words basically allow for more individuals to be booked but again that's just not going to be where we want those individuals that are suffering from you know uh, either a drug addiction or a mental health crisis you know we want to actually have a crisis center that can handle those individuals and hopefully get them into a better place where then you can look at transitioning into you know community treatment options or inpatient treatment options and and getting them to a place where hopefully uh, they can be get back to being productive members of society.
0: Well, I'm hoping that you can pick up where Beacon left off, where you left off with that, and bring that back into the forefront with your leadership if you win because um, we need this desperately, and I'm not seeing a lot of movement. It, it, Multnomah County is supposed to be our our health area for this. And Sharon Myron rails against us all the time. She did a great op-ed in the Oregonian. She's come on this podcast numerous times saying we've got to lead on this issue. She can't get movement from the chair. We're Mm -hmm. Lots of us, including myself, are going to the county and testifying, begging for some kind of leadership on this issue, and we're not seeing it. So it would be great to, to add some pressure there and to maybe even find some some other avenue to get this thing going. And it sounds like that's one of the issues that, that you're concerned about as well, and, and we could get some leadership from you.
1: Absolutely, and it takes really a leader that is not only invested in the community but is here, present, who's seeing the problems and working on that, and that's just not what we have right now. Um, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, under Schmidt we have kind of this this record of you know record breaking crime and empty jail beds and and you know the laws and that he's supported in his actions have led us here and you know what what I come back to when I talk about how do I want to build you know this safer community it's it is because I look at it from a perspective as a practical prosecutor someone who's worked in the system for 20 years and looked at where we've been successful and where we're failing and on the other hand you have Mike Schmidt, who's a politician who spends his time either out at national conferences or down in Salem, kind of rubbing elbows with other politicians. But really, it's it's what we need is folks that are invested here in the problems that are that we're experiencing now in this community, and really they're in the forefront, pushing forward. Hey, this is a crisis in our community, and we really we need we need a, a solution now.
0: What will you do, because off air we were talking about repeat offenders, and we were talking about how it's very difficult when you look around and you see that somebody, or you look at somebody's uh, criminal history, and you see that they've been convicted numerous, numerous times of these quote-unquote low-level crimes, and yet they're still out on the streets not doing anything for themselves and terrorizing the public with these what I think is, is perceived, at least by our current DA, as a, as a lower-level crime, but it is really affecting quality of life. What will you do with repeat offenders when it comes to things like criminal mischief and theft?
1: Well, a couple of things that I'll do. One is, since 2018, I've led kind of really a cutting-edge program in our in our system and that is that you know it's the strategic prosecution and it's where we use data to really stop that kind of revolving door of crime and what what we do is we identify those individuals that are having that kind of big impact the frequent flyers the ones that are really kind of hammering our system we use that we identify them and then we go back and we pick up all those cases we package them together and we have a real kind of effect on that that individual From there, we look at kind of real carefully, how do we get towards long-term solutions? You know, certainly things like jail and prison are on the table, but really what we're looking for are how do we get that individual the tools, whether it's drug treatment, is it mental health? You know, how do we get them to that point where we can get real tools to get them out of the system and to stop that that kind of constant repeat behavior that, that I know is It's just it is not only frustrating, I think, to the everyday citizen and to the everyday business owner that's experiencing that crime of theft and criminal mischief, but it's it it just it's it's exhausting. And I hear that from a regular basis from folks of like, why is it that that person was um, arrested and four hours later they're back?
0: It's it's I've been on a ride along and it ties up the police. I'm sure you have, too, but it ties up the police like nobody's business. You're spending all this time finding people and de- not not just finding them but dealing with call after call and it's the same people they know them all they know them by name they've seen them 10 billion times some of them just you know they'll say I just arrested this guy a day ago 2 days ago and here we are again at another call in meantime who knows what's going on there are plenty of people not calling the police for various reasons because they're tied up with these repeat offenders and it just really is it such a waste of resources it seems
1: like yeah and it's it's one where you know having kind of led this unit and looked at how we can really use data to to really attack this problem um you know it is one where uh, if I'm elected as DA, this is where we're going to see a massive change. We're going to see an investment in an area that is going to really look at how do we, across the board, take on those individuals to really um, have a have an immediate and a really efficient and effective impact on those repeat and frequent flyers.
0: Right. I mean, it's not good for them either, obviously, and and probably yeah. if they were, if they had the tools that they needed, they'd be aghast. It their criminal records.
1: Well, it's, it's astonishing that, um, we've come to a place where, you know, we see these, these individuals that are kind of living in just really kind of horrible conditions. Squalor.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's, uh,
1: you know, what I see is, um, it is both, you know, a, a horrible situation for the victims who are having to kind of deal with, with the kind of fallout from this but also just the individuals that are to see them live like that's it's a it's a tragic and sad thing and and what we need to be looking at is how do we kind of you know if if this individual's committed a crime how do we then move them to a place where hopefully they're going to a sober up b look at what what are the driving factors behind what's putting them in this crisis and then finally what are the tools that are going to get them out and that, those things can be done, and I've seen it work, and we've, we've really had good success, but it takes, again, it takes that practical prosecutor who's invested in our community, who lives here, who's worked here, who really wants to see that change.
0: I, I love your answers on this because they're really thoughtful, and obviously this, these are things that you've work, been working on for a long period of time. This isn't something that you're just stepping in. And these aren't things you were just philosophically thinking about. You've actually seen this in action. So I think that's a big deal. Um, You know, I have heard stories. Obviously, you were here in the summer of 2020, and I I can't imagine what that was like. Um, I have heard stories about you potentially being present at a meeting at Southeast Precinct in the summer of 2020 when, Mike Schmidt was having to answer to police officers and my understanding is that was after he made the statement to the media that he wasn't going to prosecute a lot of these rioters. Is that true? Were you present for a meeting like that?
1: It is true. Um, Let me give a little bit of background context. So um, we all remember 2020 and you know what was going on and you know I had a I, what I think is a pretty unique, um, perspective and, 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 situation in that, you know, I was long before Mike Schmidt came along, I have been dealing with protest, you know, related crimes, um, and prosecutions. Uh, and so uh, the, from the very first night to really the, what I'm going to call was the last night of that series. Um, I was, I was present. So in other words, I was in the justice center the first night when they lit it on fire. I was on the thirteenth floor when it filled with smoke. I remember it vividly. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I can tell oh you. Oh my
0: god! Well, I mean, it, did you anticipate this? I I didn't anticipate anything like that. That I, they would actually set their jail
1: on fire. I remember we were on the thirteenth floor. And we were just monitoring, keeping an eye on it. And the march moved downtown, and and um, it happened so fast. It went from. You know, and, and I always like to be very clear with people about this. Uh, having that perspective, seeing, I, I was there for, uh, you know, night after night after night and day after day after day. And I saw many wonderful, peaceful protests. I saw a lot of people, you know, that were, you know, at, really out there demanding social justice. And I saw some beautiful protests. I saw some impassioned speeches. I saw some good dialogue but then there were times where I saw some just out-and-out out riots, and I saw some out-and-out out criminal behavior that was wildly out of control. And that first night, <clears throat> it was difficult because it really, um, it happened so fast in that there was this march, it, it made it to the Justice Center, and immediately uh, things went south. And um, you know, I, I remember you know, it had a big impact. I mean, my, my children were at home, and they knew this was going on, and the media reports were coming out, and you know, it was a hard thing to have to discuss with your, with your child. But, um, but, you know, it's something that, so, so to center us back on that, you know, I, I was there through it all. And then in the middle of it, um, in came, comes Mike Schmidt and, uh, and he decided it was a very, I think it was his first real act as the new elected DA was he came in and, and he issued this protest policy. Um, that was something that, uh when he started kind of pulling it out and talking to us about it it was clear he was getting lots of uh, outside influence and it was clear that it, that it was going to happen like this wasn't this wasn't a hey hey mike this is kind of a bad idea you shouldn't do this it was this is what was going to happen and so he issued that protest policy and what the one of the biggest problems uh, there were there were multiple. But one of them was that it sent a very clear and strong message to the police that he didn't value them and that it really it told the police officers that um, crimes that were committed against them, uh, basically it, it was going to be really, really um, rare that we were going to prosecute those and that basically there had to be kind of just extraordinary circumstances for that to happen. And, and so, you know, the police officers if we put that in context, you know, they, these are the, the, the men and women that were there every night, every day, and, and they were exhausted, tired, and they're having, you know, um, you know, anything imaginable thrown at them from rocks to, you know, feces to, you know, fireworks and explosives, and, and so through it all, then they have, what they had anticipated would be their system partner come up and basically tell them, I don't value you. And so they were upset, uh, and they were mad. And, uh, my role was after the policy came out was, okay, what, what crimes can we prosecute? And so my, my whole kind of job <laughs> oh at that, that point, I mean, it really transitioned to, I was going to fight for each and every one I could, and push and push and push for you know for the for the businesses that had their windows smashed out for the the people that got hurt um, and you know it, 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 there was it, throughout this time period we had we saw not just kind of the antifa we're going to be anarchist and come down smash smash the place up and set fires and all that but we also saw kind of the it drew in kind of your. Super alt right, and you had your proud boys, and you know yes. your Alan Sweeney's of the world, and uh, you know they came in looking for a fight. You know this Portland became, in large part due to Mike's actions, it became the focal point of the United States for hey, if if you're uh, you know alt left alt right, come here and let's mix it up. Let's you know, and that and it, we became the crucible for violence, really, and that that was not where we wanted to be. Um, but so we come back to this meeting with the police, the police, they, you know, they wanted to have a discussion with him. This was, they were very determined to say, Hey, we want to hear, hear from you and we want you to hear from us so we can tell you, you know, that we're human beings too. And, and, uh, these things are happening. And so, so we all met it was arranged and, and these are, you know, I had, I had been. Kind of working in and out of these groups, you know, for years, and so, you know, I went down there, and my goal was to help facilitate kind of a, a civil discussion where, you know, my hope was we could, you know, exchange kind of some of the different perspectives, and out of that, maybe see something that would help bring, uh, bring us all together. And uh, it didn't go that way. Uh, it was, it, it was an uh, an interesting. Uh, meeting, I think there are many people have said, many of my colleagues that said that they wish that they could have been a fly on the wall. Um, you know, I basically what happened is that they they came out of the gates with hard questions. They did. They had some really hard questions, and Mike pushed me right up front to to be the one to to answer those. And so, so oh, he
0: pushed you up.
1: Oh yeah, to was, answer those. Oh yeah. So I spent the first, you know, I don't know, I, I spent as long as I could trying my best to. <clears throat> Again, emphasize the "Hey, I am here. I am prosecuting certain as many cases as I can." Um, point and and try to kind of uh, help with that perspective. Um, but I, it didn't last long because yeah. My
0: understanding is they pulled him out and said, "Stop hiding behind Nathan."
1: Yeah, I mean there there was a particular. St- uh, tall <laughs> sergeant that I <laughs> that I know that I can just remember him vividly saying Nathan we like you we trust you we we're not here to hear from you we hear from you every night we see you we know that you're accountable to what happens we know that you know you'll always stand up and come and talk to us we're here to hear from him so I, and literally I it, like and I my phone started blowing up with all these text messages saying you know sit down let him talk and I was like well here we go
0: I mean, did he? And and it sounds like he wasn't able to answer any of their questions to their
1: satisfaction. I, I certainly wouldn't say it went well. Um, you know, it it was a situation where uh, the the exchange of perspectives and ideas. I I just don't think he could at all see from their perspective, and um, and you know that that unwillingness to see from their perspective. I think to see kind of, I mean, what's so odd is when you stand in that room and what stuck out to me is I looked at at them and their, uh, their clothing was just so damaged with like paint and rips and, you know, all these things. And I, you know, it's like, they looked like a group that was just like tattered. And I was just like, why, and exhausted. I'm like, why can't you see the kind of like, these are folks that I mean, this isn't a glamorous job and they're doing it actually, you know, and, and certainly people may disagree, but they were doing it because they really were trying to keep the city from being burnt down, and, and they were really doing it with that in mind. And, you know, and all the discussions that I was present for, you know, and it was very much, Hey, we are here to allow folks to have freedom of speech and to talk and to demonstrate and to do that in a, in, in a peaceful manner. But once that turns to, hey, we're going to destroy property or, hey, we're going to get into an assaultive riot, then we're going to step in. And it was just, um, there just wasn't any recognition of that. And, um, and it just did not go well. I mean, it was, it was rough.
0: So obviously, we have this crisis of confidence from the public. We mm-hmm. have a crisis of confidence from the police, which is why we are so under. I mean, I think part of it is why we're so understaffed. Part of it was that um, defunding treat by the city council. And, but although, you know, they have come around on that. I mean, I think they real quick looked yeah. around and decided this was a poor idea. Renee Gonzalez comes in. Even before he he came in, they were bringing the money back in. But we are not getting police into the city of Portland, my understanding is, at the rate that we need to, nor are we, it seems like, able to retain the people that we're getting, that we're actually getting through DPSST, because once they meet their criteria for their bonus, I think there's a fair amount of fear from people in contact with these new recruits that they're going to take off, that they feel like they have no idea what they got into?
1: Well, I mean, it's... How
0: do we restore trust if you win?
1: I mean, day one is I will value victims over criminals. And day one is that I have the type of positive relationship with system partners that is going to bring back that confidence. And it, it is one where... When you look at those recruits and those individuals coming in, what they saw from in 2020 was they saw elected officials repeatedly telling them, we don't value you. This is, you know, we, they demonize them, you know, all of these things. And, and so all they have to do is, is literally just look, look down the road just a, a short distance and, you know, mm-hmm. is it Beaverton is it Wilsonville? Is it Lake Oswego? Is it Salem? Is it somewhere else? They can go be police officers in other communities.
0: We, yeah. And they are and were is unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And I, and I saw that, um, sadly, some of like, I think not just my favorite officers, but really I think some of the community's favorite officers, yes. um, left, I, you know, the one that, you know, the, and I saw fantastic detectives, you know, I, the one officer that comes to mind is, uh, David Sanders, that guy. He was beloved by the community. I mean, it was always such an odd experience. He, he was, he, you know, he still is a police officer. He's in, in a different, in a, one of the suburbs now. But he was a bike officer. And this guy, we would, we would walk out of court or be outside the cross, and, and they'd be like, hey, Officer Sanders. And I had grand jurors pull me aside and said, do you, do you know who that is? And I go, yeah, it's Dave Sanders. I work with him all day. And they're like, no, no, he's the guy. I'm like, what do you mean? And it, Officer Sanders had built this whole program around bike theft. Uh, it, it was, I, and I know I'll make him cringe when I mess it up, but it was like two eleven or something. And he, but it was a whole system that was based on h- like registering bicycles, and then when oh, they were he stolen, came up with
0: that. Yes, and but yeah, we all participated in that. It
1: was, and it was fantastic. So what you saw is all, the the bike community loved him because they would get their bikes stolen, and he would he was like actually returning them and people felt like wow this was such a direct service and he was
0: it was it was so smart and very easy to
1: get on there and register and it was uh it was one that a lot of officers you know really bought into because they loved it they you know as a police officer it's so wonderful when they feel like hey i not only um i was able to you know arrest this person for you know for a crime but I was able to give the victim back something. And and our bike community in Portland is serious. They are some serious folks. And if you see their, you know, the bikes, like not only is it the fact that they're very expensive, but they actually have a deep like connection to them. And they, you know, because it, you know, they, whether they had it customized to their, you know, to their particular riding style or whatever it is, I, I never knew all of this until I met Dave Sanders. And so uh so it was it was it was always phenomenal just to be he was just such a humble wonderful public servant and um but you know it he looked around and he was like I I can I can go start a wonderful program somewhere and uh, and they're going to value me and uh and that that killed me I mean I, it really did to see those uh those people that uh, he truly truly cared about victims and um to see him really pushed out uh was tough it was really tough, but that was that was the message of 2020 from elected officials, um, loud and clear. And it, I mean, it, it's not that it was just Mike Schmidt. Uh, cert- oh,
0: absolutely not.
1: But but certainly they felt it from there, and that that's something that, you know, we went around. We you know we we tried to build and restore relationships, and um, it it really was disheartening when I can build trust and I can do uh, stuff on an individual uh, basis, but what I'm looking around and seeing today, this is a systematic issue. And that's, that can't be done from, hey, he's a hardworking senior deputy who you know, handles all kinds of you know, rapes, murders, and sexual abuse prosecutions, and he does all this stuff, and that's great. This has to come from an elected DA that people trust.
0: So, if you attend any of these like police accountability commission meetings, or talk to people at the it, in the ideological spectrum that maybe don't love Mike Schmidt because, of course, he is there are things that he's prosecuting mm-hmm. which I don't think they don't care for, um, but but like him better than past DA's because he believes in a lot of the same kinds of things that they believe in, mostly not prosecuting a whole heck of a lot of things. If you talk to them, they will say that our police force is rife with abuse, that our police force is filled with uh, physical issues of, of, of unjustified violence. Do you have any sense, I I mean, the data I've seen does not bear any of that out in regard to Portland Police Bureau. Now, there are plenty of other bureaus. New Mexico comes to mind as one that isn't doing so well in regard to data. Do, Do you have any handle on the data about our police force and whether those kinds of narratives have teeth to them? And obviously, to the extent they do, you're into prosecuting crime. I'm assuming you would look at crime as crime, whether it's committed by a civilian or a police officer,
1: yeah, and there is a couple of, of kind of key points I want to you know, focus in on here. One is, you know, Mike has never prosecuted a complex or serious case in his career. I mean, he just hasn't. I, even though he's the elected DA, he's never been to a crime scene or handled a murder case or done any of that. that. That just that's just not at all. Always done when he was a deputy before, he never handled any complex like person crimes or any of that any of that stuff. So, you know, it's unrealistic to really expect him to kind of, you know, have that background. Now, when we then transition that to, okay, police officers and what's the data and kind of how should we be handling that? You know, what I see is the police officers are okay being held up to a higher standard, but they still want you to be fair. And they want you to look at it from a, a just standpoint. What I do see is... I see Portland police officers do. Uh, they have to have one of the absolute most rigorous training courses, and not just that's in the, my understanding. It's not just in the front end. I mean, it is every year. I mean, uh, there are so many times, and I know this because I'm, you know, I'm in trial a lot. Where I'm like, hey, I need this police officer. Oh well, they're at training. Okay, well, I'm gonna have to move the dates around because that is a regular part of what they're doing, and they're a very highly trained police force. Now, that doesn't mean there's not problems. There are at times. There's gonna be problems, but. What you need in there is you need a police force that trusts the DA, so that when they come forward and say, "Hey, this individual over here, um, we we needed to deal with it. that person needed to be prosecuted," they can have the trust to say, oh, "Well, okay, I see that, I can understand that, and and and, and we're okay with that." But what we've seen in you know in some of the things that have happened w- under Mike Schmidt is. They don't trust that perspective. They don't feel like that's what's happening, and um, there is kind of an immense fear of, hey, if I get out of my car and go do my basic job of, I'm going to go investigate this crime, or I'm going to, I need to go intervene with that individual. Uh, Mike Schmidt's looking over my back to prosecute me, and that's that's never a place we want to be. Um, as a community, what we want is we absolutely want a well trained. Uh, law enforcement force, we want them to have accountability, but we want them to be able to to feel like they can do their job and that they'll be supported in doing their job.
0: Nathan, what else do you want people to know about you that we haven't talked about yet?
1: There's kind of a variety of of things that, that, you know, I'd love to kind of share. One is, is, you know, um, I I want people to know that, you With me, you get someone who's handled just kind of a whole range of cases, everything from the the smallest of the small to the most complex cases that we we face in our system.
0: And how long have you been doing complex cases? Because I think this is a big distinction between you and our current D.A.,
1: you know, I, like I said, I started in, in 2000 and I did just jury trial after jury trial after jury trial in the beginning of my career. And then, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to do really just about every type of law you can imagine, from juvenile to domestic violence cases, um, you know, certainly gang and gun crimes. I've also I spent a significant amount of my career um, prosecuting child abuse. Uh, these were some of the worst of the worst uh, cases out there. Um, and really, uh, since approximately 2008, 2009, I've been handling homicides, uh, everything from, you know, the the what were the most traumatic for me, certainly the, the child deaths, but uh, a lot of gun violence cases in the past, certainly um, eight to 10 years of my career, I have been doing, you know, a, a vast majority of my work is on homicide cases. And then... Another big part of that is I handle, again, the ones I'm allowed to, uh, the the prosecution of political violence. And, and, you know, my approach has always been um, I, the politics are not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at is someone committing a crime. And I've handled um, on both sides of the spectrum. I've handled the major cases that have been prosecuted um, for the anarchist on the kind of alt-left and the major cases on the alt-right. Um, it, you know, when looking back, you'll see that, that I've done them both and I do it uh, absolutely 100% as even-handed as, as can be in that area. Um, you know, the other things that certainly what I want uh, people to know is, again, that really I, we can build kind of a safer community together. That, that can happen. And it happens by valuing victims over criminals, and and not kind of you're not going to see this where basically, um, you know, Mike Schmidt's made a career out of giving out get out of jail free cards. Uh, we saw that with Governor Brown's kind of massive commutations that were all supported by Mike Schmidt. All of which, the ones that came from Multnomah County, all of those uh, were occurring in the in the context of we had just had a record number of homicides in our community, and then I, I, I must believe it, and I'm happy to be fact-checked on this, is that that was a record number of commutations at the same time. And those cases, these weren't, I mean, I think everyone can sit back and go, sure, if someone was convicted of, you know, a, a drug dealing case back in the, you know, 90s, and now they're a very productive member of society, yeah, sure, we should look to, you know, to get rid of that particular case. Yeah, that makes sense. But the, that's not what, what was happening here. We were talking about, um, these were people that were convicted of aggravated murder. Yeah,
0: this was really heinous yeah. stuff. I mean, if you look, uh, Josh Marquis talked about this a little bit when he was in here, and he's the former DA in Clotsub County. And, I mean, we're talking, some of them were child murderers.
1: Yeah, it was it, it's it was really <laughs> difficult to see these cases. And, and it really, um, when you start to dig into it, uh, Rapists. The concern I had was that it didn't feel that victims at all were valued in that.
0: Oh, no, no, they weren't even, most of them weren't even contacted. I mean, they learned about it from the press. I. So you're saying that he approved all those?
1: Yeah, it well, was The ones I mean, in Multnomah County. All the Multnomah County. So if, yeah, I mean, it's very easy. You just, I mean, you can go and look on the, the reporting that was done, and actually I clicked right through on the article where it's the letter from the governor, and you just read through case after case, and each one that's Multnomah County, you'll see. Mike Schmidt approved of this. Oh, my God. And so each murder Mike Schmidt approved of this. And it, it just, what was so hard, too, is that the uh, the prosecutors, this is something that, and this isn't necessarily, I think, as you know critical for the everyday person in the public, but it kills morale in the office. So the everyday prosecutor... Um, we go in and we, we really kind of pour our heart in our soul we miss we, we, we take time from our families because we're here on weekends or, you know nights early mornings to prosecute these murder cases in particular like this yeah, and
0: for what
1: well and then it, it, it th- there was two kind of massive things one is you're in the middle of doing this and your boss just feels like he just is gonna come along and cut your legs out from under you on this, because you really, when you, when you go through that process, you make a a strong connection with that victim's family and, and you tell them, you know, that you're always going to be there to fight for them. And it just feels like it's just, it's just eaten away at everything, you know, that you stand for on that. And then, you know, it's, um, it is just really a, a difficult place to be in when, uh, he doesn't even consult, the prosecutors that worked on the cases, like those, not one prosecutor that, I I mean, that I was around that were in the office still to this day, those prosecutors weren't consulted. And it's like, and what, what I think is missing there is that individual DA that worked on that case, they're going to know so many more facts and details than you can get from just kind of trying to read through a few memos in the file. Yeah.
0: Like how dangerous is this individual?
1: And it, it truly is a situation where what you're seeing is that, you know, he is going to value uh, kind of this, you know, the criminals over those victims' families. And that it just that in the face of a record number of homicides, it, it really is uh, year
0: you know, after year. And, yeah. and I don't know about this year. Apparently this year it's quote unquote down, but not by a whole heck of a lot.
1: Oh, it's it's been catching up fast. That's what had, I, and
0: I think as the weather yeah. gets better, it will. Right.
1: We typically do see that, um, and uh, if if we're off pace from last year, we're not far off. And it's been uh, we've seen you know a lot of really tragic, horrible cases here recently, um, and so it's it, it's been tough. You know, um, I can't I can't talk about the one I'm no, on. currently, of not. But but I did pick up that uh, the double murder that happened off of Barbara Boulevard, and it's you know it's a horrible thing to see that loss of life. So.
0: Well, and you're seeing it more than ever lately in the le- next, last few years. And, of course, you, you're going to want to turn that around. Nathan, what can we do? Obviously, we talked about how campaigns are expensive. Can you be at all specific about the kind of money that, based on your research, you're going to have to raise? Because the people that I've talked to anyway that are familiar with these kinds of campaigns, before you came in, I talked to some of them, and they said you, you're you going to need a million dollars plus, possibly two million to defeat Mike Schmidt. Does that sound right to you?
1: As much as it makes me um, cringe and like hurts my stomach to say uh, it does. And, and, and how I, how I get there or how I see that is, you know, you know, I'm not a politician. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm an actual prosecutor who's done this job for 20 years. But when I look around, I did my kind of due diligence and research you know the the races out in Washington County, you know they were they were getting up there uh, in the and that was
0: Washington County. Yeah,
1: I mean they, I, I you know those ones were in the half a million dollar range, and um, you know and so this you know certainly you know we've seen a lot of out of state money come to Mike Schmidt, and uh, I, I I anticipate that's going to happen here, and I don't want to see our community um, you know and the things are happening in our community being driven by people out of state pumping money into this because really we are, um, we're in a place where uh, we need to come together and demand change.
0: Yeah. That's how we got measure One Ten. You guys that was sold to us by the drug policy lines from New York city who saw us as a good target guinea pig for this, garbage but I think it's important that people understand the scale of money that we're talking about and I mm-hmm. also think it's important that there is no matching here is that right this is not like a city council race
1: yeah it's not you know there, it's a uh, you know and to, again and looking into all this it, it's not actually um, considered a county race even though it's a county office again I it was odd to me but uh, I certainly looked back on um, on mike's filings and I saw very clearly that there's there's no matching and there's no limit so, okay. Uh, so
0: there is no limit to donations. So mm-hmm. unlike with the county commissioners, where yes, there's no matching, but there is a limit. With Nathan, there is no limit to your donation.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know certainly, you know I welcome people that want to come and support me. Um, and I and I want to be clear though that I want the everyday person invested as well. Uh, if 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 you uh, feel so moved to to give. five dollars whatever that amount is. And if it's meaningful to you, I can tell you it it means a lot to me. Um, I I want to see change because I believe that we can have kind of really both safety and compassion in our community. And and we can do that together. um, But it's going to take it's going to take work and it's going to take people, you know, standing up and saying we need change.
0: Thank you for coming in. Um, anything else you want to leave us with before we sign off?
1: Um, I I want to say thank you, and uh, certainly I, I welcome kind of uh, future discussions on this. And uh, if you see me on the street or you wanna you wanna contact me, please reach out. I'd love to talk.
0: And how do they contact you? Can they just go to the website or can they email Michael at voteforvasquez.com and send a question or whatever they're concerned about?
1: Absolutely. Yep. That's probably the, the best way to do it right there. And then um, and, and we can take it from there.
0: Okay, so if you heard this and it prompted questions or even some um, constructive criticism about things you didn't hear about, that you want to hear about, I am sure that Nathan would like to have that conversation with you. So please go to the website and reach out. That's voteforvasquez.com and it is not the number four. It is spelled out F-O-R, voteforvasquez.com and there's a button on the homepage to donate. Thank you again, Nathan. Thank
1: you. Thank you.